Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along my narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along my narrow way. He lives, He lives, Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Isaiah. We praise the Lord this morning. He lives within our hearts. That means everywhere you go, everywhere your heart goes, Christ needs to be there with you. Amen? Amen. So we praise the Lord for that. We want to say welcome and good afternoon here from Memphis, Tennessee, at Remnant Seed Ministries to those who are joining us uh, via the conference line and those who are joining us on our website at www.remnantseedministries.org. Uh, we thank the Lord for your presence here today, and we ask that you would welcome your friends and family to join. Uh, they can't make the trip here to Memphis, so they can't make the trip to the building that they live in Memphis, that you can join us via those two avenues. Uh, we welcome all that will worship the Lord with us. So at this time, let's join together this morning for a word of prayer so we may ask the Lord to be with us during this service. Heavenly Father, once again, in the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, as we open up your word, we ask that your spirit would bless us with his presence to walk us through a thus saith the Lord, so we may understand the truth as it is in Jesus. Bless those all over the world who are honoring you as Lord. We ask that you would guide and lead and direct them. Lord, give your ministers your spirit so they may speak with authority, that your people may hear and obey. And Father, please, once again, forgive us for the sins we have committed against you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Once again, good afternoon and happy Sabbath. Since Morgan Glass said you're doing a little better today. Uh, we thank the Lord for that. Uh, and we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who are not doing well today, this, this uh, time of year. Uh, there's always something going around. And so we thank God for uh, giving us a, a remedy for everything that goes around. And one thing we know, when we stay with those remedies, uh, when we use those remedies, they are better for our bodies than the remedies that come from a petri dish uh, or a chemical factory or a toxic waste dump or anything else they get these medicines from. So we thank God for his word as well, for this is where we learn these things. This is where we learn the understanding of obedience to God's way. And so we would turn our Bibles today, the book of Exodus chapter 20, we were meeting, I believe it was Wednesday night, and we were talking about being in the presence of God. 
Because when we're in the presence of God, everything works out. And that uh, we are in the correct place. It's the place where he created us to be in. And so uh, we're going to start off here in Exodus because by the time that we left Egypt, we had forgotten about that. Matter of fact, we had been programmed by this other God so long that we had a problem with being present in the, I mean, being in the presence of God. And so let's, let's, let's pick the, the account up here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. And it says, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Now, that sounds a little strange for somebody for 400 years that's been crying out that the Lord would deliver them, and they love the Lord, and they want to be with the Lord, and they want to see the Lord, and all that. You know, sound like something like we today. Oh, if I could just see the face of Jesus. You know, you know all those things that we say. Oh, I just get to heaven. I'll be. These people had been so programmed that the presence of God made them afraid. So much so that they said, please, Moses, you talk to us. Don't let God talk to us. Now, just for a minute, think about how ridiculous that statement is. That God, the one that you were supposed to serve, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, who, who is so kind and gracious and loving toward you to do all those things, he wanted an audience with you, and now you're running away from him. Moses tried to tell him in verse 20, and Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that th his fear may be before your faces. For what purpose? That ye said not. He said, I just want to introduce myself. I, I want to show you who I am. And, and, and it, the Lord wanted to be before the people to give them not only a reminder of their duty to him, but also a re reassurance just by his presence. See, remember the God battle. Remember that? <laughs> they had been watching the, the, the frog God and the river God and all those other things, and they just saw the battle of the gods with the exodus, right? And so he just wanted to say, I'm, I'm with you. I'm still here. And he wanted to comfort them by being in, the, being in their presence. He wanted them to know that he was always there to help them. He was always there to comfort them, to instruct them, and to provide for his people. That's why he said, come to the mount, you know, y'all ain't quite holy enough yet, so y'all stay around here. You know, don't, don't come all the way up here, but stay here. I want to come down. I want you to, to see me. I want you to hear me. I want you to, to know that I am here with you. And that should have made them very comfortable that the God that did all of these things said, hey, how you doing? Kind of stuck his hand out to him. Hey, how you doing? Welcome back. You know, come on home. And that's what he said this, this particular sermon was about. He said, come home. He wanted to welcome them back into the family. He wanted to welcome them back into what they were supposed to be at creation. That's what we were made at creation. They were going to be sons and daughters of God. So they say, hey, you guys have been away from home a long time, and you have forgotten who I am, so let me introduce myself to you with the thunderings and the lightnings. And you would think that that would say, wow, he is really a powerful God. He's, look at the, man, the, the earth is shaking, the mountains are smoking. Wow, this is great. No, that's not the reaction they had. See, the spirit of disobedience that lived inside of them had convinced them that God was looking <laughs> to give his people a good slap on the back of the head. Not an encouragement. See, they, they, the spirit of disobedience uh, 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 
convince the people that the same reward that, or I should say the same fate that the falling angels were going to receive, that the children of God were going to receive. They had, that spirit had convinced the people that God was out for judgment. See, God had already dealt with the fallen angels. God had already dealt with those disobedience in that realm. He said, hey man, you're done. <laughs> but he never said that to Israel. He never said, I got rid of my people. He said, they ran away from me. I put them in bondage for 400 years. I tried to do everything I can to get them back home. And now I'm at a point where I want to bring them back to me. But that spirit that was in those people convinced them that God was out for judgment. Does that sound familiar? Eternal damnation was never meant for the human race. It wasn't designed for that. We were not designed for that. He said God's position has always been to save us. Everything he's ever done since the fall of man has been done for our salvation. Go to Romans 8. But what had happened was the Egyptian spirit had gotten in us. And of course the Egyptian spirit is one that says God is a judging God. God is going to throw you into hell because that spirit of the Egyptians, guess what? It's going there. That sentence has already been pronounced on them, but they tried to get them to believe that that same sentence belonged to Israel and it never was. Amen? I hope you all are getting this because this is extremely important because we got to stop being afraid of God and start fearing God. Amen? Now we're in Romans chapter 8. He made this promise to us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, we'll begin. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. We need to know this because it's time for us to come home to a loving God. In Romans 8 and 38, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, is that a loving God? Is that a God that looks like he's, he's out for judgment? Is he's out trying to, try to destroy you as soon as you mess up? He said, there is nothing that's going to separate you from my love for you. Nothing. And so we got to come into that understanding and get rid of this Egyptian spirit that's in us. That God is out for judge, 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 judge. It, that spirit is so deep in us is that we start judging each other. We can't wait till you mess up. You know, have you seen somebody, you know, having a, everything's going well and, and you know, and, 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 and they're doing the things God asked them to do. And, and they said, people in the, in, the, in the weeds, just looking, they're going to mess up soon. And as soon as they mess up, get them. Oh, no, I saw you. That's so anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. Now, that's a bad thing to be, right? Because we read about the, oh, the Antichrist was coming. No, if you're doing that, you're here. <laughs> it's already here. Why are we looking for someone to mess up? Don't worry, everybody's going to mess up. It'll be ample time. You don't have to look for it. But when they do, you are there to encourage them, to help them. They know they messed up. Believe me, everybody in here knows when they mess up, don't they? Now, sometimes we don't want to talk about it. But God's, he's not that kind of God. He's like, hey, man, you messed up. That's why I'm here. Because you can't do it without me. He said, oh, you fell down. You ate a cheeseburger. Oh, Lord, come on, man. Let's get back up. <laughs> this is the God we serve. 
Now, there is a judgment. Now, don't, don't get this twisted. This ain't the old, I can't use the person's name. This ain't the feel-good, happy, happy religion. There is a judgment that comes to those who are disobedient. But there's, there's not, that's not the first line. That's not the first thing that you see about God. The first word to describe him as he described himself was merciful. So this is the God we serve. God's first move is never judgment. As we learn from the plagues, it's never judgment. It's always mercy. But when we leave the presence of God, we will begin to believe the lies of the enemy. See, when we get away from God, we'll start believing what the other, other gods are telling us because we don't have that protection around us. We're not watching him to say, okay, that's the truth, that's the truth. We stop looking at the truth. So everything else becomes in what's in front of our eyes and what comes within our heart. See, the lies of the enemy, and we begin to act very strangely. Even as chosen people of God, when we walk away from the presence of God, we start acting a little weird. Go to Genesis. This taught us this lesson this morning in Genesis chapter 3. We start acting strange because we are walking away from the presence of God. Now, at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3, we know what happened before this, this particular verse. They had consumed something God asked them not to consume. The whole thing was about loving obedience to the Creator. And what did they do? They disobeyed the Creator. It didn't matter what it was. You know, they put something, you know, they, they ate from the fruit. I mean, you know, ate from the tree. It didn't matter if it was drive the car somewhere. It, it was about disobedience. And they disobeyed. And when you disobey, what happens to, to you is something told you to disobey. Now, remember we read in Romans, whatever you, whoever you serve, is that's, who, that's your God, right? So let's read and see what kind of God action was going on here. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the, here we go again, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Amen? This was not an unusual activity. This happened every day. This, see, God's presence was with them every day. They were, within, they were in the presence of God every day. But this would happen. And Adam and his wife all of a sudden had a different perspective on the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. They hid themselves from the what? Presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? What, 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 we, we do this every day. I, and we know God knew where he was. I mean, that's not, you know. But where you at, man? What happened? What happened? He left the presence of God and started worshiping another God. Remember, whoever you obey is who your God is. He worshiped another God. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Some other entity of the spiritual realm told him, ye shall not surely die, but become one of us. Now, does that make a little sense now? They're used to seeing heavenly beings. They weren't a heavenly being. Adam and Eve were not heavenly beings. They were earthly beings, right? But this being told them, you'll become one of us. Now, let that sink in just a second. Adam and Eve were very used to spiritual activity, being able to see it. 
walk with him, talk with him. And we, and we see evidence here. He said, God, walk with him in the cool of the day. We all right? We ain't freaking out yet, are we? I'm trying to keep this real low. We're going to get to the rest of it one day when we're ready for it. But something else told them to disobey, and they obeyed. Okay? Let's look at it that way. They obeyed God, then they obeyed something else. Is that better? Because if you obey something else, you disobey one thing, especially when they're opposite opinions, right? At this time, Adam had worshipped another god just by obeying the command of another god. The other god said what? Eat. And what did they do? They ate. The other god is afraid of the presence of the Most High, and his subjects are afraid of him too. So when you get started being afraid of the presence of God, you know what's in you. There's a spirit that's afraid in you. Let me get over here. Hold on. Maybe over there is too much. Um, there's something in you that's afraid. That spirit is afraid of the living God. Please understand that. Well, we get like that too, don't we? You know, we used to get like that when we were children. Okay, let, let's, let's, let's bring it down on earth. Okay. When you did something out of the command of the parent, and the result of it was you broke the lamp, now, I'll put it like this. I, I'll use an example for me because I don't want to accuse y'all. My cousin Harold and I, would, and Sean Welsh, we were jumping on the bed. This is in the 1970s, so you had one of them 1970 globe lights out of the ceiling. We were jumping on, on Harold's parents' bed on a Friday night. They had gone out to somewhere. Been told not to jump on the bed. Because they, you know, they're a little older, they probably did the same thing. And they, that's going, that's not. Man, jumping on the bed, ju having a good time. We, you know, jumping. I got this big fro. And I jump up. I'm the one. Boom. Got glass all in my hair. Glass all on the bed. Big old hole in the globe. We did not want to be in the presence of Harold's parents. Right? Well, that's what happens. When you disobey, you don't want to be in the presence of the parent. And so that's what happened here. They had disobeyed, and, the, and Daddy came home. <laughs> and so now, uh-oh. But the thing about our Father in heaven, there's mercy. And that was mercy. I'm still here. That was mercy. <laughs> and, of course, both them people turned me in. <clears throat> And Larry did that. Larry, you, you look at it. Larry. I'm like, note to self. Don't trust none of them. Uh, uh, and so, you know, you get, you get in trouble, but you're supposed to get in trouble. You're supposed to get some incentive to make you not do that again. Okay? But there was mercy. But our Father in heaven is always merciful. Yeah, yeah you'll, sometimes you'll have to get tapped a little bit. Why? To let you know, there's the line. Don't cross it. Amen? Now look, see, he, uh, the one of the most devastating tricks the devil plays on us is that he, he teaches us that when you mess up, you can't go ask for help. He teaches us to be embarrassed that when we get to a certain place that we can't come home. And the only place to get help is home. And he tells you don't go home. Because you are so bad, you messed up so much, you are so awful, you can't come home. That's the biggest trick. He tricks us into running away from the only hope we have. 
he convinces us that the God of Israel is out to punish us, and which, which ensures us that we will ever, forever be lost because we're afraid to go home. Don't ever be afraid to come home. If we get afraid to come home, we'll never get help. We'll never get fixed. God knows this. See, please understand that God knows us. He knew what we did. His angel was there. <sighs> did it again, didn't you? But still there. God knows what happened. What are you hiding from? He said, I'm the God of the whole earth. Where are you hiding? I know you when you sleep. I know what you dream about. He said, come on, man. It ain't like that. It is not like that. I am your father, which art in heaven. I am merciful. But let's get this thing straight. I'm not going to change my demand upon you. I'm just going to help you meet it. Is that true? If God was vengeful first, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't, we, we, we wouldn't be here. How many times this morning have we done something that's questionable? Let's go to Romans 3, if you would. God makes this statement so he'll know. So we can be assured of something in third chapter of Romans chapter 20, I mean, verse 23. Romans 3, 23. He wants us to know this because he wants you to know how merciful he is. He says, for all have what? And come short of the glory of God. So guess what God knows? We messed up, right? We messed up. Something we did was not according to how his wishes were. We broke his command. He says, I know that. And? That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't keep me from helping you. And that's what we have to understand. See, the Lord wants us to come back into his presence. We were designed to always be in his presence. And that's where the safe place is. He said, come on back home. He said, he watches and longs for us to come back just as we are. He didn't ask you to get holy before you can come home. We would all be in the streets, wouldn't we? If, you're, if you ever had a, a run-in out in, out in the street or anywhere else, and you had a good home. All you want to do is get home. If I could just get home. I remember that all the time. If I could just get home, I'd be all right. Some guy chasing me down the street. If I could just get home. If I can get to the door, then I'm good. I don't know what it is. We always thought it was some magical kingdom at home, that no harm could come to you at home. Unless, you know, unless mom and daddy, you know, inside. But nothing outside of home could hurt you if you got home. And that's where we would run, jump fences. I mean, y'all been there, haven't you? <laughs> Boom, hit the fence. You know, dog chasing you, get up there. If I can just get home. Die, you can dive into the backyard, you know. <laughs> and that's what God wants you to know about him. Just come home. Amen. Just come home, I got you. Yeah. I'm going to deal with you now. Now, I don't know about you, but when I got home, I got dealt with. But, oh, it was better than what I was running from. And I know there was love in the dealing. And this is what we got to know about our God. Amen? See, the Lord wants us to come back to his presence. You know, he, he longs for us to come back. Don't let the devil's fate cause you to miss the opportunity of mercy. 
See, the devil's got, his, his, his sentence is already, uh, 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 what do you call it, passed. He's always, always been, it's already been pronounced on him. He's trying to convince you that's your, pres that's your sentence. Don't let the devil keep you from missing the opportunity of mercy. Because, oh, when we do that, we blow it, don't we? Because there is mercy with God. God has no mercy for the devil. Stop being the devil. Stop letting the devil uh, run you. Stop letting him put those ideas in your head. And, and so, because he's going to try to make you do more and more against God, so you'll feel more and more guilty against God, so you'll never come home. Go to Isaiah 1. This is the position God takes with his children. Are you a child of God? Yes. Uh, we're not sure of this. Do I need to call individual names? We are children of the Most High. If you know it or not, you are. Amen? So this is how he approaches his children, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1. Let's go to verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. First thing he says is, come now. Isn't that nice? We weren't smart enough to go home. We, the invitation is, come now. Let us do what? Let me jack you up around the corner. Let me hit you. No, let me beat you. Let me punish you. He said, no, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Now, there is no, there's no doubt about this next point. <laughs> Though your sins be as scarlet, don't go in home acting like you didn't do nothing. <laughs> don't try to negotiate your sin because the sin is already, yep, you sinned. Though your sins be as scarlet. We're not even discussing the fact that you sinned. Why have a discussion of the thing that's already done? He said, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be what? As white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be what? This is, the, this is the offer from your father. You blew it, we'll clean it up. Amen? Are we happy with our father? Do we understand him a little bit? Oh, no, we've been trained to think he, he wants to just stamp us out. If God wanted to stamp out the human race, <laughs> this would have been a, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even have a book. Wouldn't need a Bible. Somewhere in the history of, of, of existence, there would have been a bleep. Yep, Adam did this, and that's it. There would have been nothing else. But God's not like that. God looks through thousands of years. He looks through eternity and says, I got a people I made to be with me in my presence. I'm not going to leave. And yes, I made them with free will, but I'm not going to leave them. See, that's a big chance God took on us. He said, I know they have the capability of not choosing me, but I would rather, mm, I would rather give them that chance than for me not to be with them. You're talking about love. He wants to be with us so bad that he gave us an opportunity not to be with them. So when we are with him, it's a loving choice and not a, a mandate from a dictator. See, this is the promise of God through Jesus Christ. Don't ever stop calling on him. He said, it is not our righteousness that's allow, that allows our voice to be heard, but it's his faithfulness. Does that make sense? We don't earn God's grace. We don't earn God's mercy. It is freely given to us by him through Christ. 
He's not waiting on us to earn this thing. Because it's not about I earned it. He said, I gave it. Amen? Go to Luke 15. Luke 15. So glad we don't have to earn grace. He said, I'll freely give it to you if you just come home. Stop believing the lies of the other gods. Because they're all liars. Every last one of them. He jumped on the church and the heads of the church. He said, you are the, your father, the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning. He said, you, Christ always talked like to and through a person. When he told Peter, get thee hence, Satan. He talked to Peter, but he was talking through Peter. He said, because he was talking to that entity, that enemy that was causing Peter to think denying Christ's instruction was a good idea. You know why he said that? You remember the, the, the conversation they were having? Christ said, hey man, they're going to kill me. <laughs> you know, I got to go down here. They're going to do this. In three days, I'll be back. Far be it from you, Lord. That sounds like such a compassionate thing to say. Oh, no, 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 Lord, no. Satan had convinced them that being, quote, compassionate was better than being obedient. Deny Christ. That's all Peter was doing. He was denying the word of God. I know sometimes we get in that too. And he said, get thee hence, Satan. He said, man, you, you, you're trying to confuse one of mine. Get out of here. Satan had to leave too, didn't he? And see, this is something we're going to get into. See, the presence of God eliminates the presence or the effective presence of Satan in your life. You don't believe that, do you? The presence of God eliminates the effective presence of Satan. I didn't say he wouldn't try to be there. He just wouldn't have power over you Amen. if you're in the presence of God. Yeah. It's when we start fumbling and, you know, sliding and all those kind of things is when the stronghold of the devil can, can become stronger in us. But we're going to learn to be in the presence of God. That's why in the presence of God, that's why he says you cannot sin. You know you cannot sin in the presence of God. Why? Because there is no sin in the presence of God. See, we're going to bring all these little catchphrase uh, religious statements that you've heard over the years. We're going to try to bring them all into where it needs to be. Because it's got to mean something, man. It's got to actually be an operational point in your life. You know, it's like an operation manual, and you don't understand the vocabulary. We've been getting all this vocabulary, but we don't know how to put it into operation. We're going to try to get all that done. Not today. Now, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Not today. You ain't going to be there that long. <laughs> but in Luke chapter 15, if you would. This was a son who did not earn his father's grace. He didn't earn his mercy. But we want to see this particular account to let you know how much your father loves you. Okay? Now we know what happened. Young cat got his money, left. Ran the hard times, terrible. Boom, bye. Right? All that happened. Now we're back in verse 20. Let's catch up with the account now. And he rose. This was a son. And what did he do? He came home. 
See, all of that foolishness, all of the, the wine, women and song he was in and all of, the, all of the stuff, he knew better and he did it anyway and he knew that it was against the wishes of his father and he did it anyway and he knew he was in bad shape but he said, I'm going to go home. And so he did what? He rose and he came to his father. And that's all he did. He didn't even get home yet. He came to his father. He was walking home. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. How did the father see him? Because the father was looking for him. Even though he disobeyed, he disgraced the family name. He was out there acting a fool. Y'all have any, well, let's see, y'all have any children like that? <laughs> Were we children like that? Amen. Your family got a good name. Your mom was a good person. And you out here acting like that. Boy, what's wrong with you? Your daddy has a name in this town. What's wrong with you? And the father was looking for him. He said, one day he'll come home. That's what he was hoping. The father was hoping. One day he'll come home. The father didn't care about the money. The father didn't care about the reputation. He cared about his son. And he saw, and he, he said, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Think about that when, you're, when you want to come home to your father, when the angels come and run to you. Can you picture that just for a second? God is not sitting in this high throne. Uh, you're going to kiss my feet? Kiss the ring. That's what the Pope does, right? You know, you're going to talk to him, you got to kiss my ring first. Not our father. And he's higher than our highest. He's so happy to see you coming. Come on. He ran and did what? Let's, let's see what he did. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned. See, confession, right? I have sinned against heaven and in, the sight, in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. All these things were facts. Okay? But let's see what the father, how his father handled the facts. But verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. I wonder if we could be church members like that. Hmm. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. That sounds strange to us, that a father would do something like this after the son has embarrassed him, has gone against him, has disobeyed him. He said, he has come home. And in verse 24 says, this is what it's all about. For this my son was what? Dead. But now what? He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is just not a story, y'all. Christ never gave words just to be talking. This was an explanation of what happens when we come home. It's the actual reaction of the kingdom of heaven when we come back home. He, he said, we are the Lord's sheep, y'all. Y'all know that, don't you? And so, let's go to Luke 15. Luke 15. God loves us more than we can know. Uh, Luke 15. We go to Luke chapter 15 and verse 4. 
See, God loves us more than we can know. And just because we turned our backs on him, just because we despised him in word and in deed, that doesn't mean he stopped looking for us to come home. He didn't quit on us. He didn't give up on us. Until you take your last breath, he's looking for you to come home. And he's providing for you little, you know, little nudges <laughs> to come home. And he brings a little thing back to your head. See, when that boy was sitting in the swine pit eating husk, there was something that whispered in his ear. You know you can go home, can't you? He didn't have this long dissertation. My daddy going to be mad at me. He's, and whatever it is, is better than what I'm doing now. And so when we're in the darkness with the devil, when we're in darkness with these strange gods, when we're in darkness with these spirits all around us, it can't get worse. Go, go home. If you can just get home. And with God, it's not a geographical con uh, 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 location. It's an instantaneous change of mind. When you say, Father, help me, home. <laughs> you don't have to get in the car. Go by the gas station because you didn't put no gas in it. You know how we are. You don't have to drive to Cleveland. You don't have to go these places. Father, help me, home. We don't see this. Come on. Luke chapter 15. See, we are his sheep. And this is what he, how he treats his sheep. This is what he looks for his sheep. This is how he longs for his sheep. When Luke chapter 15 and verse 4, Luke chapter 15 and verse 4 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? This is your God. Amen. He wasn't satisfied with 99. He's more concerned about the one who lost his mind. And he said, and when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. <laughs> you didn't have enough strength. He said, come here. You know, let's go home. Now, let's keep reading. And when he, when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors. See, he's not even ashamed of you anymore. See, you think God's ashamed. Well, you know, he, he's, he's shamed me. I just messed up. You ever had, yeah, some of your children, some of, your, some of the children think this. You've gone wilding out. Done all kind of crazy stuff. Don't matter. Come on. Amen? See, and he went and told his friends, my crazy child, I found him. And they were what? They rejoiced. Come rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that which lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than the 99 just persons which need no repentance. When we come home after we have refused God, the whole heaven rejoices. So why not come home? Oh Lord, I've been terrible. Yeah, y'all. <laughs> David was king of that. David would write psalm about, I'm just awful. I did this and that, and I'm, oh boy. God said, yes, but you're the apple of my eye. He said, I love you so much, just come home. Now, if you study the life of David, David got tightened up all the time. Okay, translation to people who weren't born in the, in the 60s. He got punishment, okay? It wasn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't have time out. 
When David got punished, it wasn't a timeout. He didn't stand in the corner. People died. You know, <laughs> cities were lost. <laughs> so that's how big this was. But he could always come home. He always knew he could call on his father. Matter of fact, when they had, he had the three choices of what could happen, he said, I'd rather fall in the hands of the living God because there's mercy with him. And God was merciful, even though there was judgment too. But there was mercy. Amen? There's forgiveness with God, but we had to come to him. We have to stop letting the enemy keep us away from that free gift of mercy. He wants us again in his presence. Yeah, there's going to be a rebuilding process, Carlene. A rehabilitation, if you will. Because we've been out here. <laughs> Egyptianish. <laughs> we've been out here being a Babylonian. We've been out here being some other crazy wickedness. He said, yeah, I'm going to have to put you into rehab. But come home. Wouldn't you rather be in rehab at the house? They're being strung out on, on, on sin out here in Babylon. Go to rehab. It's all, go through the rehab. You know, because and, and, when I call it rehab, because there is really a time period where you're going to go through DTs. I know none of y'all shot heroin before. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a drug, probably none of y'all done it. But you didn't wake up in a gutter with a needle in your arm. He didn't. Well, those who have had to go to a rehab process. Those who, who, were, who, who were functioning alcoholics, you got to learn how to live again. <laughs> when you were, you were uh, a weed head, uh, 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 what, do they, what do they call them people? Well, whatever. People who smoke weed. <laughs> when you were strung out on, on, on sugar, when you were strung out on, on, on whatever it was, there's a you have to learn how to live again. He said, let me teach you how to live again. You have to learn how to walk again. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. You got to learn how to do these things. There is a rehab, but thank God for the rehab. You can't walk the way you just walked before you went home if you're going to stay at home. Because home's got rules, don't it? You can't come in the house with a quarter in your hand and a cigarette in your other hand when there ain't none of that stuff at the house, can't you? You can't do that. So that but if you're going to live there, you've got to learn how to live without that in your hand. Does that make sense? What did he say in Isaiah chapter 1? Let's go to 16. He said, wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. You've got you to learn to do well. You've got to learn to be a child again. You got to learn to be in his presence again because we forgot how to be that. And that's what the 40 years in the wilderness was all about. Learn to do well. We got it? He said, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless and plead for the widow. There's some things we're going to have to be doing to help in our rehabilitation. I've never been to rehab before. But I heard that you got to do stuff. Don't you? You got to do stuff. I mean, you got, okay, you got to go to meetings. <laughs> And you got to say, yes, I'm that. <laughs> then you go, go walk, and you got to go to another meeting. I, whatever you do, when to get rid of sin, go do it. Go do it. Whatever it is. It's all right, isn't it? He will, he will help guide you through this process, y'all. And go to 37th chapter. We're going to get you out of here. 37th chapter of Psalm. 
because we got a we got one more point to make after this. Thirty-seventh chapter of Psalm. He said, "I'll help you." He said, "Matter of fact, I will take over the process if you just cooperate." What is Psalm thirty-seven, verse twenty-three? Let's begin at verse twenty-three. It says, "The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way." Know this about your father. Though we fall, we shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth us with his hand. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth. And his seed is what? Blessed. He said, I just want you to come back into my presence. I want you to come home. I want you to go ahead and, and, and go ahead and identify with me. I want you to understand that you are my child. And there's certain things it, that your child can do, and you'll take them back. There are certain things you did, and your parents took you back. Amen? Amen? Amen. So why wouldn't the God of love take us back? Don't let the devil convince you you can't come home. I look at people who left the church for various and sundry reasons. They left the church and they go out and try to do their own thing. Oh, them people at church, they, they, you know, I, I don't need all that. There's another way to do it. I can do it another way. And they find out, no, that way doesn't work. And they get a little deeper. They try something else, a little deeper. Try something else, a little deeper. Then their pride takes over. I know I can't go back there because, you know, you know they're going to say you shouldn't have left in the first place. <laughs> or, or they're going to say, uh, you know, you know I, I, my, my, my pride is hurt because I was wrong. And everybody in here is wrong. Everybody in here has been through that. We're still in the rebuilding process in our individual lives. Yeah. So how, we're not, we, let's, let's keep going. If you know somebody who's left this assembly and you see that they're under this disguise of pride and guilt, reach out. Talk to them. They might have found Nirvana somewhere. Amen. Praise the Lord, stay there. You know, if, you, if God is blessing you, but there are a lot of people who just are so prideful that they refuse. The devil got him. Because I know they're prideful because they're not going anywhere else. You know how some people leave church and go to another church? And go to another church, go to another church? <laughs> well, they're not going anywhere. They're trying to come up with it. They're trying to uh, 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 come up with their own concept and put their own concept together. And God said, I have never written anything like that in my word. What are you doing? And if you can't, if they're too prideful to come here, help them find somewhere to go. They don't need to be left alone. They can't be left alone because that's the trick of the devil. And then they start ga uh, gathering other prideful people. And then they get wild. They start wild. I mean, they just get crazy because the demons are just using them. And it gets really wild. And all they have to do is come home. 
God's church should be of such a nature that it refuses to condemn somebody. Its mission is to show the same qualities as Jesus. The same qualities that we long to be shown to us when we go crazy. Don't we want somebody to forgive us? Don't we want somebody to have mercy on us? Don't we want somebody to greet us without condemnation? Well, that God's church should be that. Matter of fact, God's church is that. We're trying to be that. Amen? See, God's house should be a place where people can come and be healed and not judged. That's big. Amen? It should be a place of true rehabilitation for sin and misery. That's what a church is supposed to be. The house of God should be a place where, he, where his love dwells in such a measure that those who are lost can understand it's time to come home. The church must learn a new language. We must learn a new way of speaking. Go to 1 Timothy, if you would, chapter 3. See, our approach must change because we are called to represent the Most High God. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because he makes this statement in verse 15 in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself where? In the house of God, which is the church of the living God. It's the pillar and ground of the truth, or it's the pillar and foundation of the truth. We have to learn to speak another language. Our language that we speak should not be judgmental, but full of mercy, long-suffering, gentleness. This is the Spirit of God. Amen? Ephesians 4, come on, we'll get you out of here. It's been a long day. Everybody fading away on me. You want to stand up and do jumping jacks? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. He said, this is the language I want you to use in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in what? So I didn't say, don't speak the truth. The Bible didn't say, don't speak the truth. But oh, he did put a qualifier on that, didn't he? In love. A lot of churches got a whole lot of truth and got a none of the, no, no love. Truth without love is words with no power. People come in and they see truth. Truth should be the second thing they see. If they come in that door, love should just hit them in the face. Wrap them up, give them a lollipop. Love just be all over them. I mean real love, not that fake stuff. You know, all that happy savage stuff. I mean real love. They should feel it when they walk in the door. A lot of people have that testimony. They come in and say, this feels like home. That should be the testimony. Because this is where God is living. Amen? He said, I want you to understand. I want you to speak the truth in love. Grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, this love is the language of the spirit of God. And this language of this spirit that should be heard throughout the halls of this place. A place where the spirit is love. A place where the spirit is joy and peace, gentleness, long-suffering. A place where goodness can be found. 
a place where faith is being executed, where meekness and temperance is being practiced. See, we that are Christ's must crucify the flesh with the affections and the lusts. It's time for us to come off of this condemnation, judgmental religion. Who are we to judge somebody else? Who are we to condemn somebody else? The truth will, te- the truth will make the judgment. This is the way God says. How you doing? You know, that's just the truth. This is God's word. We could, they, oh, God said do that. I'm not doing that. So they don't, we don't have to have a conversation about that. It's fairly evident. <laughs> but, oh, there needs to be somebody not condemning. Jesus didn't condemn the guy on the cross. He was a murderer. Hang <laughs> on the cross in excruciating pain. Hardly being able to breathe. Because crucifixion is the most, one of the most cruel ways to kill somebody. Because you're like this and you can't breathe. You, you can't get in the air. Even in all of that pain, Jesus was not in the mood to condemn. What did he do? He loved. He said, hey man, you confessed. This day, all that's over with. You'll be with me. Wasn't that a blessing? When somebody comes in here, is that what they hear in the halls? Forgive them, Father. Or do they say, mm? Or do they hear, mm? They had that, mm. And what's interesting is most of us don't even know that we're giving off that vibe. But those who are hurt, those who are wounded, they've been wounded by that vibe out there. So they're very familiar with it. They can see it. But oh, when they see something else that they long for, they're looking for a giant Band-Aid when they walk in here. Something that says, just come home. It's all right. Stumble in here if you have to. (laughs) Dive in here if you have to. But this place needs to be the house of God. See, if we live in the Spirit, we'll walk in the Spirit. And that spirit will be in this place. Let us not.